Instead of focusing on winning arguments, we're teaching the basic fundamentals of sales and marketing and how we can use them to win in the world of politics, teaching you how to meet people where they're at on the issues they care about. Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show. Having a great marketing strategy is super, super important. But at some point, right, it's, it's, if you have the time, you have the money, it's easy to get people to watch your video. It's easy to get them to listen to your music. It's easy to get them to your website. It really is easy. But at some point, if you're running a business, you have to monetize that business. So how do you get someone to actually buy something, buy a ticket, buy a product online, how come to a live event, right? How do you actually sell something? So that's what we're going to talk about today. I'm super excited to have one of my really good friends, uh, Brian Nichols on the show today. He's an amazing salesperson with over a decade of experience in sales. He's coached and managed teams. He's mentored and taught sales to over hundred, like hundreds of people. Even last month, he crushed his quota, uh, hitting 234% of his sales quota. He's taught seminars on sales and really he sells one of the most challenging things there is in the world on his podcast. He's literally trying to sell liberty to people and trying to make people become libertarians. So nothing harder to sell than that. So I'm really, really excited to have my good friend, Brian Nichols on the show. Live the life you love. What's up, buddy? How you doing? Mr. Brian. <laughs> Mr. Goizetta. Happy, uh, happy Friday, my friend. Yes, happy Friday. Welcome to the show. Finally, uh, I know. Goals. I'm excited <laughs> for this. Yeah, you've been to my show many a time. We talk about selling liberty. You brought the marketing liberty approach, and I'm hoping I can bring some sales experience and uh, hopefully teach some of your, uh, your audience today how they can effectively sell whatever it is that they're selling. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's exciting because uh, one, I mean, I've been on your show probably more times because you're way more consistent and better at this than I am. <laughs> I teach this stuff and I'm super inconsistent. Uh, so consistency is the key. So this is the new streak where podcast is back. My longest streak, I think so far was 60 episodes or 60 weeks in a row. So we're going to try to break that this time. Nice. And, and maybe there will never be a break again, but we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. <laughs> but to to the listeners that, uh, that, that are finally back, welcome back. And I mentioned this to Brian in the beginning. I'm going to try a new format where the first half of the podcast is the educational stuff. Um, you know, as you've People that have been here before, you know, I'm inspired by all kinds of different podcasters. I love the long format of Joe Rogan. I love the heart, punchy, quickie, 30 minute educational podcasts. And I want to kind of combine the things that inspire me. So it'll be educational up front, and then we'll go kind of long form and just get to know the person a little more and see where it goes. And a lot of times I feel like the long form is more educational anyway. But, anyways, um, so Brian, speaking yes, of sales, <laughs> where, where does someone begin? Because I know absolutely nothing about sales. So I guess to the rookie that wants to get into sales, wants to learn how to sell themselves, like where do they even start? Well, you know, and it's funny, Chris, is that, and we've talked about this in the show, is that sales and marketing, while they are very different, they are like kissing cousins. In many cases, a <laughs> lot of where your starting off point for sales is also your starting off point for marketing. In this case, it's understanding who's your target market. Who is it specifically that needs what it is that you're selling? And if you're able to, instead of focusing specifically on the features, the benefits, or whatever it is that you bring to the table in terms of value, but rather focus on the meaning of that, that solution, that product, that service, in terms of what it does for your customer, right? So understanding who your target market is, how your product not only helps them, but the meaning behind that. And then specifically, I would say also being able to get comfortable in a niche, figuring out the language of the people that you're speaking to, and then specifically what issues are creeping up as top of mind issues for them. And then for you to become comfortable and, and really feel like you're an expert in being able to not only articulate the solutions to those problems, but then you can lead with when you're talking to people and trying to, in this case, let's say cold calling, for example, go out and enter into the conversations that people are already having. You know those top of mind issues because you've been in that niche. You you understand the language and the concerns and the, the obstacles that people are facing consistently. So now you can lead with that and present yourself as that expert. But in this case, an expert that's going to bring real solutions to the table that aren't just going to be features and benefits that are 
consistently what you hear from sales folks. It's, uh, you know, hey, I'm from ABC Company. We do X, Y, and Z. Do you want to book a meeting? And that doesn't really work. Uh, what works is being able to lead in with, hey, I'm calling from Stratus IP. And, you know, I want to reach out into a lot of work specifically uh, with uh, folks in the banking industry. I know right now moving from old uh, legacy phone systems to more uh, hosted solutions, but integrating that with Microsoft Teams, is that going to be on your plate? And then beginning a conversation. So hope that answers your question to start off, Chris. But I'd say to start, number one, Yes, know your market. Uh, number two, understand the meaning of what it is that you're bringing from your product or service to uh, your your pro uh, your prospects. And then number three, um, really go out and find that specific niche that you can get comfortable and and speak your speak your expertise to your uh, your target market. It's funny, no, no, as I always say, know your audience, right? And know your audience. That's right. And I, own your audience. You've taught and, me that. <laughs> and own them. Yes. Take take them off the, the third party platforms. But that's yeah, right. know your audience. You want to know your customers so well, right? That if they were to walk into a mall, like you should know what kind of customer are they? And I always use the example is, are they uh, impatient like me? And they know exactly where they're going to go, go to that store, get what they need and get the heck out of the mall. Like the less time they can spend there, the better. Or are they more like my wife? And they're going to go shop around and take a look at this store and take a look at that store. And then they go to the store they want to go to. And then, oh, let me try this on. Let me try to. You got to know your audience. Right? Yeah. Well, and also what you just kind of mentioned too is you're, you, as a sales professional, it's not our job to force people to buy, but more so mm -hmm. to help them buy. Right. So if we, so you use that great example there of you're going into the mall. If you, Chris, know what you're going into the mall for, right? In that case, as the sales professional, it's my job to facilitate that sale as easy and as pain free as I possibly can for you. Whereas if it's your wife's situation, then you're probably going to want to do a little bit more of a, like a, a deep dive discovery, almost like a quote first <laughs> appointment, right? With your wife to figure out, you know, what is it that she's interested in? What are the, the issues that she's trying to uh, resolve as she's going shopping? Is she looking for clothes? Is she looking for something, household items, you know, whatever it may be, but then to tailor in and, and hone in on whatever it is as a salesperson in that respect. So Again, it really just comes down to the different approach that you have to take with what your buyers are looking for. And again, my kind of slogan I have on my show is meet people where they're at, specifically right. on the issues they care about. But that first part, meet people where they're at, right? If you are able to enter in to whatever it is, the conversation that the person's having in their mind, the, the problem that they're facing internally as a team, but then specifically help them through their processes and just make it easier for them or have to play more of that handholder, that doctor kind of go through, uncover the problems, maybe help walk through some of the solutions and then really attach the meaning to the, the, the value you bring to the table to those problems and the, the solutions you bring to the table in that case, then moving forward. So I would say across the board, it is though specifically knowing not just your market, but then how they want to buy and how have they bought in the past, right? Mm -hmm. That's also important. And you can you uncover that through the, the discovery questions on, and, and really figuring out not just who your buyer is, but how they behaved in the past. Mm -hmm. well, what I think makes it tough for, for musicians, um, I'll say especially musicians. So especially musicians that don't have a podcast or a YouTube channel or something like that, they're not doing something else, right? So first of all, I'm a big advocate that if you're a musician, um, you should have something else, right? So for the podcasters and the YouTubers, it's a little bit easier, uh, but the musicians that are purely just doing music, if you have something else, it's it gets easier because you can sell that as your revenue stream. Yes. But let's say you're first starting out, you only have your music, right? And you mentioned resolving a pain point or something, a problem that a customer is trying to, to solve. And entertainment is a problem. I'll just keep, keep that in mind, musicians. Entertainment is a problem that people are trying to solve, right? The ways you create value is education or entertainment um, and or utility, making something easier. But um, I guess, how do you sell art? Like, how do you convince someone that your art is what's going to solve their problems? Your art's the best art, the prettiest art. <laughs> well, what does Roy say in the office? Pam's art is the prettiest <laughs> art of all the art. Um, now, how do you sell art? And that's tough, right? Because not only is art, um, it's not a physical, I mean, it can be a physical thing, but let's talk about like musicians, for example, right? You're, you're doing your service in performing and singing, you know, playing guitar, whatever it may be. You can't, I mean, it's hard to monetize that as like a deliverable, right? It's, it's, it's a service. It's not a specific product. So you're not necessarily solving a problem in this case as you're, you're providing, uh, a, you're providing a, a solving of some emotional trigger that they have. So 
in sales, we're always looking for the tr two main triggers in, in emotion being fear and love. And fear, I would say, kind of maybe goes in, in tandem with sadness. Maybe that's kind of like in the same ballpark, if that makes sense. But when when you're talking about how do you get somebody to like buy into your music or buy into your art, I think in this case, you have to hit them in an emotional uh, an emotional way, Chris. Like you really have to figure out, I mean, going back to who it is that you're speaking to, who who is your audience, but then what is it that emotionally drives them? And to, to have a better understanding of your customer, I mean, one thing, I, I'm a really big fan of AJR. I think we've talked about this many a time in my show. Um, AJR is phenomenal uh, in terms of not just their music, but also in terms of being there to connect with their fans. They do live streams on YouTube where they're not only speaking to their fans, but they're also showing how their music is made. And it gives you as a fan much more, I mean, I mean even though you're not creating it, it makes you feel like you have ownership of the music. Because when you go and listen to the music, you hear the little pieces that you were taught by the, the musician, right? And Ryan from the from AJR. So in this case, you know, you, you get to build that relationship with your audience, but then you also get to have a dialogue with your, your, your audience. I always recommend to my sales team when they start out, some of the first things they should do is to hop on some customer service calls or at least hang out with some client care folks and just better understand the, the problems and, and the realities that current customers face. Hop on some, you know, some demos with, uh, you know, some, some sales guys and hear how a, a sales process works when you're addressing those problems and concerns. Uh, and then, you know, when you're going through and you're trying to do it yourself, it's going through and actually getting comfortable with the reps. You have to, you know, practice Tom Brady, quarterback for the Buccaneers. Um, back when he was with the Patriots, there's a, a story where he was, he was with uh, Julian Edelman and uh, he was the wide receiver for the, the Patriots. And there was one play in the Super Bowl prior that they had run. And if they had gotten that play, they would have gotten a touchdown and uh, they didn't get it. And they lost the Super Bowl. I think that year to the Eagles, was it the Eagles that year? I think it was. And I think it was the next year they went back, I could be wrong on the dates there, but it was around that time frame. But anyways, so they're in training camp the next year and they end up they're running the same play they ran in the Super Bowl that they didn't they didn't connect on and they ran the play and just like it was in the Super Bowl ball uh, fell incomplete and Josh McDaniels who was the uh, offensive coordinator for the Patriots at the time said all right next play and Brady said run it again and McDaniels is like no no, no we got to go to the next play and Brady says run it again and oh. McDaniels is like Tom we got to go to the next play and Brady just goes Jay, listen, we 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 lost the Super Bowl, the most important game of the year, on this play. So we're not going to move ahead until we get this play right. So they ran that play five more times until wow. they got the play down. And the reason do, being is because until you get comfortable, until you get your reps up, you you feel more that you have control of the process, and and then you can start focusing on the other things. But only then can you really feel that you're able to then really jump in and and. I think feel comfortable in the sales role, but going back all the way to your original question, how does that pertain to an artist? I think it's getting comfortable with the fact that you, you have to approach things a little differently. And in this case, it's going to be speaking probably to your customers, your, your audience. And then it, it might feel counterintuitive because you want to write music from your heart, but write music from your heart that speaks to your audience and then build up that relationship make them super fans as you've taught me and then let them help you sell your solution uh, just, you know, by the nature of them being your raving fans. As Keller Williams says, if your customers aren't bringing you customers, you're not doing it right. <laughs> so you, you true, just, yeah. You, you just sparked uh, an idea. Um, something I've actually never thought about before. So um, what's what a lot of musicians tend to do and it's when it comes to the selling part, right? So they spend all this time, writing a song, rewriting a song, going into the studio, recording a song, perfecting a song. And then when they release it, they just say, new single coming out this Friday, co-download it. And I think what was important for artists probably is the copywriting, is like having really good copy to sell the song. And you were yep. talking about like, you know, what, what pain points does the song talk to maybe? Like what emotions does the song spark? So I think, and then talking about getting the reps in, as you mentioned, I think what artists should do, and it's what actually gets taught in a lot of copywriting um, courses, is you don't just write one caption, right? Like write as many captions as possible to fig figure out how to, in one sentence or phrase, say what your song means or what your song is saying. And I mean, write it down at least 30, 35, 40 different captions to really 
just kind of yeah share the message that is maybe the point point that your song is talking to and maybe that's how you get someone to listen to the song I don't, do you have much experience with copywriting like what are your thoughts on on that yeah so i use copywriting all the time i do it for my day job um okay. i use it for like when i'm doing just like cold emails trying to get prospects interested um i'm using it a lot for potential customers for my uh, side hustle in terms of doing <laughs> things for consulting but also for the the podcast um, and with copywriting and you can almost bring this to also when you're using this in, in marketing as well, Chris, right? Mm -hmm. If you can bring the copy to the, you know, video or, or, you know, bring it to social media. And I'm thinking, you know, particularly I I've seen before, uh, you know, there's a new hit that's being released or new single. And I've, I've seen like a music video preview mm -hmm. and it's usually focusing on, you know, if I don't know why there's like one country music song in my head, I can't remember the name of it, but like in the song. They're talking about like, you know, some very intense breakup. And I remember I saw this ad on Facebook when I was going through a breakup in college back my freshman year. <laughs> and it sticks with me because like as I was scrolling through Facebook, that ad just pops up and like you hear this song and I'm not a country music fan by any stretch of the imagination, but that's just sticks with me. Because I remember seeing that and being in that emotional state, it kind of hit me. Now, what if I was a country music fan in that case, right? That may have been a reason for me to go listen to that song. So I would say if you're able when you're writing your copy to effectively focus on the, and in this case, it's a little different, right? Because if it's a song, um, you know, maybe use some of your lyrics to, to help promote the, like, the, the emotional appeal. Find a very emotional part of your song and have that be a part of the copy. Have something with regards to, you know, it, telling a story of, of someone who enjoyed your music and you know, the value they got from the music, like that because of the relationship that they, they were able to build with your music. There's so many different ways you can articulate these stories, but I think it really just comes down to knowing again, who, who it is you're speaking to. Right. I know it's, I mean, I sound like a broken record, but we, I think sometimes Chris, and I don't know if you've experienced this too, but we, we overcomplicate things. We mm -hmm. try to like make things way more like I've listened to thousands of podcasts over, you know, the yeah. you know, number of years I've listened to podcasts and, and so many of these, you know, sales podcasts in particular, all these sales gurus, I have this acronym and, you know, it's <laughs> MDCP ADDP method. And they go through each acronym, you know, M stands for uh, meticulous as in we're meticulously going through that everything, you know, line by line. And then, you know, the A stands for, and then it goes on and on and on. And every guru seems to think that they have to have this very intense, hard way of doing things. But the reality is, is if you are just able to know who you're speaking to, Know what it is that drives them on an emotional level. And this kind of goes to, to empathy. I think empathy is one of the most underutilized uh, secret weapons that you can have in sales. Because if you're able to meet your, your prospect where they're at, not just in terms of what they need from a solution standpoint, but where they are on an emotional level and match that energy with them and, and kind of walk through. Uh, Victor Antonio is a good mentor of mine here. Um, he's a sales icon and he always talks about his very gross analogy, but he's like, you want to be there puking with them. You want to be throwing <laughs> up with them. He's like, you want to be holding their hair back as they're puking in the bucket, feel that pain with them. And that's true though, because people want to feel cared for. They want to feel that other people out there not just care for them, but understand what they're going through. If you're able to, to show that differently than some of the, I mean, goodness, Chris, you've told me some of the horror stories behind the scenes of <laughs> artists who are so impersonal and just could not give a crap about their fans. And yet then you look at the other folks, the other artists who they build that relationship with people, they meet their fans and really you know, they, they show that they care how much more of a positive impact does that have for not just that fan's experience with their, their, their you know, icon, right? But now they're going to do so much more for you, Fly. Um, they're going to do so much more for you in terms of helping sell your product. So the celebrity, the, 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 the musician, the artist in this case, they're also getting something from it just by, by showing they care, by being mm -hmm. different than those other musicians and other artists. Yeah, I think it's, it's interesting because like, the whole like caring about others, right? First of all, it needs to be authentic. It needs to be real. Like, you have to really care 100%. about people. But you know, like th there's a saying that artists are selfish, right? All artists are selfish, and people in general, like a lot of people, are selfish. And if if you're trying to just do something that helps you, like caring actually, and empathy, and like loving on other people, actually, in a way, like is is the most selfish thing you could ever do because. It's it's like um I don't know if you watch Friends at all. I and mean, we talk about the Office mm -hmm. all the time. But there's this episode where where Phoebe says there is no such thing as a selfless good deed. 
Because yes. out of every good deed, you get something out of it, right? Even yes. just feeling good. Um, yes. So don't, even the feeling that you get out of helping is, is kind of selfish. But so I guess if you're going to be selfish, learn to help and do something good with it. Like yes. help others and be there for others because it's going to return so many times in your in your art. And um, I'll, I'll never use an artist's name when I'm talking poorly, but I will use it when I'm talking good. So two examples. Um, there's an artist, ginormous star many number one hits records sold out arenas and stadiums all over the world has been a judge on a singing show um i won't mention which singing show and now can can barely sell a ticket to save their life right um then there's artists that actually genuinely care and give a shit about their their fans and you you see that you know backstage how they interact with fans how they interact with the people backstage and Sure, they may not be selling out arenas and stadiums anymore, but they're making deep into six figures per show, and they're selling out two, three thousand seat theaters all over the the country and like in, over the United States, and then maybe in other countries they might still be playing arenas. And th those artists, they've built longevity, right? It's, it's important to have um, a sight on the long game, like the long term picture. You're hopefully you're going to do what you're doing for the next 20, 30 years, not get rich quick, because if the faster you get rich, the faster you get broke, also. So. Um, Anyways, where, where I was going with that too, that's just kind of added some context to what you said, but I think with the with the music too, once you get someone to listen to the music, right? Um, the sales part of it is like, unfortunately music doesn't make as much money anymore as it used to. So trying to get people to stream it is probably gonna be the important thing. But when you're playing live, um, I think the next thing you have to sell, again, the, what artists tend to do, they always get lazy when they sell something. It's like, hey, we're going on tour. Like here's the 30 shows that come up, get a ticket. <laughs> And I feel like what's probably important is selling and experience. Hey, folks, really quick. If you're looking for someone to amplify your message where both voters and customers spend their time, look no further. Right Strategies specializes in the unique challenges of both running political campaigns as well as small businesses in the digital landscape. With a proven track record of helping clients win elections and grow their businesses through smart, strategic digital marketing, Right Strategies is the perfect partner to help you reach your goals. Their team of experts will help you save time and money while helping amplify your message to help you win your elections and help win in the marketplace. With SMS texting from Right Strategies, you'll receive an efficient, affordable, and smart way to focus your marketing budget. By helping you reach thousands of voters and customers, Right Strategies will help you make a powerful impact on the outcome of your elections and your business growth. From social media management to expert graphic design work to marketing your product or campaign or heck, even building your brand awareness, Right Strategies can put together a plan that makes sense for your goals and do so within your budget. Want to learn more about how Right Strategies can help you win your elections and also help grow your business? Head to briannicholshow.com forward slash RS to get your free campaign or marketing plan report card. And of course, be sure to let Morgan and the Right Strategies team know that I sent you. Again, that's briannicholshow.com forward slash RS. Amplifying your message where voters and customers spend their time. briannicholshow.com forward slash RS. And now back to the show. Mm, yeah, you took the words out of my mouth, man. I was going to say, you're selling experience. And you know, like, I I think the best way to really exemplify selling experience, it's a place we all, I mean, we all used to know and love, maybe not so much anymore, was Disney, right? Disney <laughs> yeah. was an experience. When you went there, it wasn't so much that you were going to Disney. It's that there's the, there's like the sense of magic, right? That's, that's there when you're at Disney world. I remember, you know, and I was fortunate as a kid and I was growing up, I got to go to Disney a couple of times and uh, you know, that's, that's a big deal being from upstate New York. So mm -hmm. going to Disney, I went and I was like four, I went again when I was like, I think 10 something, eight, maybe I, I don't remember. And then I went again when I was like 17, I had a nine, eight year old sister, seven year old sister at the time. And to experience Disney at each of those phases in, in life, and I, I mean, obviously, when you're four, your memory is not exactly as as good as it is today. Um, but I still remember the feelings I had, right, and the experience that I had, and in the good the good memories that I associate with those trips. And then when I was older, and seeing my sister being able to enjoy, and now her growing and getting these memories, and 
It's all based on the experience. It's based on the cast members coming up and trying to, to go above and beyond, giving that extra effort, showing you that they care. I mean, goodness, I kept I, I probably still have my parents' house, not gonna lie, hidden in a box somewhere, my little autograph book that I got from, you know, Minnie and Mickey and you know, Woody and Buzz when I was four years old, right? Like, and I kept that because it meant something to me as a kid. And I would bring it home and I'd show people, look, look at I got Minnie Mouse's signature. It's right here, it's the legit one. <laughs> and and like that is something you you can't really give a price to. Like, yeah, okay, yeah, Disney has a price and it's very expensive, right? <laughs> But those memories that I have that I'm sharing with you today, 30 years later, like those memories still matter. Those memories still have emotion. It's why when I, you know, I'm thinking about my future kid, right? Like I'll probably let them watch some of the old Disney stuff because I have emotional connections to it, right? And we see this across the board is that a lot of things, this kind of sense of nostalgia carries through because of the, the way it made us feel, the emotions that we attach to it. And right now, Chris, What's missing? <laughs> What's been missing the past two, three years? Stuff feeling like it matters. Like a lot of stuff we see, especially oh, from your corporate overlords. If you want to be an artist, here you go. You get Brian on rant mode here, Chris. You want to <laughs> be different than your corporate overloads or overlords? Don't put out the faceless, just generic bull crap that they put out time in and time out. Like I, and listen, I'm a Star Wars fan as, as true as they come, but like, as much as I tried to really love Obi-Wan Kenobi, there were certain points in the film. I'm just like, this could have been a, like an hour and 20 minute movie. It didn't have to be a 10 series long uh, movie because they kept on trying to like nostalgia junkie, you know, shot me. And it was like, I don't need that. I just want to have a, you know, a good story. Mm -hmm. But like you see this time and again, where uh, across the board, there has been a lack of trying to create new things. And it's been really trying to establish more of like, okay, what worked in the past where those emotions were working when we were winning that kind of battle? And can we bring that back? Hocus Pocus 2. I heard that that um, was uh, recently uh, announced or no, it recently just came out. Right. And I heard it sucked. Yeah. I know a bunch of millennials in my group that they're going to go watch it and spend their time to watch it because of the feels. I like Tokus Pocus. I'm not going to go watch it because I heard it was a, a terrible movie. And frankly, like I wasn't that big of a fan of it to begin with. But there are some folks, for them, that movie is everything. So they're like, yeah, I want to feel like I did again when I was a kid. I saw a meme. I think I'll, I'll finish on this, Chris. It perfectly sums it up. It's a guy holding a DVD and he's looking at the back of it. And uh, it says, you know, I don't know if it's that I miss Blockbuster so much as I miss the world like it was before 9-11. Uh, and I think that's kind of the, the reality, too is a lot of us have this uh, this nostalgia for yesteryear, whether it was our parents thinking about the 50s, whether it's our parents now thinking about the 80s, uh, whether it's us thinking about the 90s and 2000s. Um, I think it's one of those things you see carry you know, from generation to generation, but it feels really, really true right now, especially when just so much stuff just doesn't feel like it matters. And a lot of folks have lost um, that sense of hope that I think they're so desperately, desperately looking for. Mm -hmm. what, what's I just listened to um, the the Joe Rogan and Rick Rubin podcast. I don't even know who Rick Rubin is, but one of the greatest producers of all time. Like he was there right like, at the birth of hip hop and has produced some of the best like hip hop records in, in the early mid 80s. Um, done like metal albums, done Red Hot Chili Peppers, System mm -hmm. of Down, like amazing, amazing producer. And he's like talking about art, right? Like what makes art unique and different. And I think the trap that a lot of artists fall into is following the trends, right? So when there is a trend, and it's just with everything too, it's not just art, it's like everything. So it's the second there's a trend, people try to jump on the bandwagon and try to capitalize and monetize on that trend. But again, that's thinking, that's short-sighted, right? That thinking the long-term picture is like figuring out how you can be different, how you can stand out. I think that's that's super important in, in art and seems like it's really important in sales too. Oh, not only is it important in sales, it's one of the most, if not the most important things, it's certainly up there. Um, you know, I'll give you a real life example, right? So for my day job, I work in the greater cybersecurity and telecommunications industry. And if you look at that industry, by and large, it's not that great. Uh, a lot of telecom companies are just faceless corporate entities that for you, you know, when you're working with them individually as a customer working in your residential space, right? You know how just frustrating it can be. The same thing is true in the business environment. So when you look at cybersecurity, same thing is true. So my, my company's done 
is when you have what's called the master agent space, which more or less you think of like your insurance agents, you could go to State Farm or Allstate or Progressive, or you can go to an insurance agent who's going to say, hey, here's the best option for you. It's kind of what my company does, but we do it for uh, small to medium slash medium large-ish companies um, who are looking for help in their business technology space. So when you look at companies out there, like what my company does, some companies, they'll just be a quote shop. They'll be like, all right, you need, you know, 300 phones and you need one pen test and one vulnerability scan. Okay. We're going to get you, you know, 15 quotes for your phones and 10 quotes for the pen tests. Okay. Versus what my company does is we take it much more, uh, you know, Hey, we're going to give you one provider. We feel comfortable, not just selling, but also supporting. Cause we're here for the long haul. We're here to support your account from the onboarding where frankly, a lot of telecom companies suck is the onboarding provisioning, but also Post-sale, we're here for the long-haul client care. We're not going away. We're here to monitor your billing, to monitor trouble tickets. Actually, we're going to sit down with you quarterly to go through things proactively, make sure things are being addressed you know, in a positive way. You think other telecom companies just do that by the, the good nature? No, of course not. They, they, they're like, we just need to get as many customers as we can. And once we get them, make the contract language as confusing as possible so they have a one-year auto renew every year and we can get them you know, looped in forever. And, and I'm not kidding, Chris. That's a real thing that happens all the time. But um, you know, us being different, us focusing, frankly, on the fact that we are different. We are not like everybody else is what in the end, at the end of the day sells us. It differentiates us. I'll give you an example. Um, one of the accounts I sold last month, it was uh, at the buzzer. And when I say at the buzzer, end of month, end of quarter, it was a Friday night. And uh, we were working on this account and it ended up, uh, we, we had a special for them that we could only get through with the provider we brought in through the end of that, that quarter, which ended at midnight. The guy called at 1147 and he's like, Hey, really quick. Just want to make sure I'm confirming billing doesn't start until January. Thumbs up. Contract came in a minute later. So like you want to talk about at the buzzer, right? But like, that's the difference, right? Taking that extra effort. Another sales guy could just like, nah, I'm not going to answer that call. It's a late enough Friday night, right? right? But at the same point in time, being different, doing the extra effort, taking that you know extra initiative versus your, your competition, which if you're an artist, it's other artists out there, unfortunately. Now, does that mean that you have to compete with them all the time? No, collaborate, build those relationships. As a matter of fact, use each other's audiences to work together. And I think that's one thing, frankly, Chris, you and I have done a really good job with is, is being able to collaborate, bring each other's networks together. And we see this across the board, the Liberty movement. I've been trying to, you know, work with other Liberty folks to, to build connections because instead of having these like independent silos where you just get your audience and you keep your audience, like build that silo and then like try to, to, to merge audiences, try to share resources because it's not just like this, like, oh, collective utopia mentality, but rather it's a, men a mentality that like, if, if you help me and I help you, we are doing so because we understand helping each other is going to benefit us. At the end of the day, Chris, you know this, you're in, you're in art and, and radio and stuff. We all, what's the most popular radio station? WIIFM. What's in it for me, right? That's what everybody's <laughs> always tuning into. So if we acknowledge that as the, the fundamental reality and then uh, with that build upon it versus just trying to ignore that and then just blend in with the crowd, we're going to find a lot more success. Mm -hmm. There's there's one there's so many great lessons in what you, what you just said, but one thing that really stood out is the the post sale relationship, right? Because again, always thinking long term picture, right? If yep. you get someone to buy a ticket once, great. How do you get them to buy a ticket to your show for the next twenty or thirty years? And that's where the post-sale relationship is important, right? One one giant artist that actually does this really, really well is Taylor Swift. Um, she yep. has such a love and compassion for for her fans, at least it looks that way, right? It could be, all be an act, but it seems authentic. It seems real. Her fans feel like it's real. And people come to her shows. They look forward to her shows like every year, every two years when she comes through a town because it's that post-show relationship as well. Like she tries to have a relationship with her fans for the long term, not just yes. for that one show. And that's that's what's so important. Um, you, hey, really quick, by the way, yeah. and this is the guy you got me excited about, was Gary V, right? Hey, I got you on Gary V. Gary, I listen to Gary V consistently. And, and let me tell you, Chris, I, like, I'm so glad I do because that guy's positivity is freaking oh, yeah. toxic, and I love it. 
Um, but one thing that I've learned from Gary V is like the importance of, of engaging in your audience. Like there's one video I saw on, um, it's like a reel or something. He's like, scroll. It's like him scrolling through and responding to every single <laughs> comment. And, uh, like, he's like, Oh yeah, I'm in my zone. And he's like, he's doing his thing. And he does that because I mean, number one, he gets a thrill out of it. Cause he's a, Right. A psychopath um, <laughs> in the best of ways um but also because he knows that him putting in that effort now will yield so much more down the road i mean chris how many videos have you seen of gary v like somebody come up to him and be like dude you saved my life yeah go in for the bro hug and then tell like some terrible story that they were like on the verge of suicide right yeah. and like that's because he takes that extra effort sorry mm -hmm. go on no, that's great. Yeah, that's that's a really good example. That's the, by the way, the drinking game of my podcast. When when I mentioned or someone mentions Gary Vee, people got to drink. <laughs> I, I, I got you. I took my drink. My, my, my uh, lemon seltzer water. Nice. I'm drinking my my Celsius energy drink that my wife got me hooked up hooked on. It's, there you go. Yeah. By the way, I don't drink anymore. I tell you that. You did tell me that. Yep. I did. Yeah. It, it, it That's been the best decision I made, man. Let me tell you what. Like, feel so much better from not drinking the uh, the alcohols. And I think it was because like, I woke up one day and I was like, I don't want to feel like crap anymore. Yeah. And, and and like no more hangovers, man. And like mentally sharp. Like I think you want to talk about superpowers for sales and life. Get substances out of your your like be be present, be focused. Like Absolutely. yeah, I'll, I'll vape every now and then. But like if you can try to like really be engaged. It's so much better. Like, don't don't escape. Sorry, that's completely off topic. But like, no, that's... that's a superpower, man. Like, I I used to work with a coworker. He'd come in every Wednesday, Wednesday, yeah, Wednesday, hungover, <laughs> reeking of whiskey because he would go oh, to play darts at night, and it was all every Tuesday night, and he would drink an entire handle of I forget the Hennessy, Hennessy. He'd drink an mm. entire hand, handle mm. of Hennessy, and like just you know, hair would be all disheveled, reeking of booze. Whereas like, you know, I can come in and I can feel like, dude, I, I, I didn't drink at all. Like I, I started my workout this morning at four 30 in the morning. Nice. Like hurry, hit the day running. Yeah, let's go, man. <laughs> now that, that, that's so, it's so true, right? The whole like taking care of your health, like, especially as an artist, I mean, as, as anybody, no matter what you do, like taking care of your health is going to be, make you so much better at what yep. you do. And I know when it comes to art, like sometimes artists get into drugs because it makes them more creative and blah, blah, blah. You can be creative without that. Um, yes. And you can find ways to be become more creative. Like again, that Rick Rubin episode I, I listened to, apparently Rick Rubin's never done drugs. And he's one of the most creative people in, in history. And he really is, is an artist on how to pull the art out of someone. So yes, I second that wholeheartedly. I mean, I've, I've recently gotten into a hobby that hopefully doesn't kill me one day. I was going to say, man, you're, you're crazy. How old are you, by the way? You're, you're late 30s? I'm 40, and I decided to, so people that don't know, I just turned 40 in August, and I started jiu-jitsu and judo, um, and Italian judo practice. It's like jiu-jitsu, when I first started that, I started in February of, of this year, so if anybody's listening in the future, February 2022. Um, so I started jiu-jitsu. I go about four days a week, and it was pretty hard on the body. Then in September of this year, I started judo. And if any jiu-jitsu purists listen to this, yes, jiu-jitsu is probably the best self-defense and they have the most vicious and violent chokes and submissions. But when you start standing up and just all, most jiu-jitsu is on the ground, when you start standing up doing judo, that shit is so hardcore. Like I feel like jiu-jitsu in a way is more violent, but judo is more hardcore. And okay. the judo workouts, oh my god! Like this morning, I, I, I did judo and just the judo exercises for warm up. Dude, you think like you're, you're gonna freaking die? Like you're you're taking people, you're the same body weight out of two hundred forty pound guy that I'm like leg pressing and, and then like pushing off of my legs with me, and then like doing this thing called shrimping towards him and then leg pressing him again. It's it's insane. Alrighty like, then, wow. Judo practitioners are, are beasts. So anyway, so yeah, um, noted. So, so even, so where were we? <laughs> so, so taking care of your health, right? So doing something like that now, like I obviously got really into, into this, um, like days when I drink a little bit, so I still drink, but I, I drink not liquor or anything like heavy. Like I drink a little bit of wine. Um, one or two glasses is my cutoff with the days where I drink a little bit more than two glasses. Um, I don't sleep as well. Mm -hmm. I wake up um, a little more tired. 
I don't train as hard. I might skip training because I don't feel good, right? And imagine what that does to your to your art. I mean, yeah, maybe not be motivated to write. Maybe not motivated to do that. So yeah, taking care of your health is the most important thing. Dude, by the way, I used to weigh three hundred eighty-five pounds. Like for me, wow. my health is like my most important thing beyond like family and such. Like like health for me is so paramount because I've been there. Like. You can't do anything at 385 pounds. You, you can't <laughs> function well. And like, okay, I'm, I'm six foot four and three quarters. That was my football height. Uh, <laughs> and you, you have to have that too. They, I was like, you can't give me the quarter inch to be six, five. They're like, nope, it's six, three and three quarters. I'm like, okay, fine. Six, four and three quarters, whatever. But like for me being that tall, carrying 385 pounds didn't look that bad. I was also a little muscular for a big guy at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Then I was like, you know what? I gotta lose all this weight, and I did. I lost 180 some odd pounds at the first. Wow. All I did was cardio. Like literally, mm -hmm. all I did was cardio, and like that was oh my God, like 15 years ago. But at that point, like that's what I needed. And then I started lifting weights, and then like getting into that routine of lifting weights, doing cardio, going to the gym, like eating healthy, trying to get mm -hmm. enough sleep, like all those things, and they start to compound, and then you realize like, yeah, this is important because as soon as one thing goes out, like to your point, you, you drink more than two glasses, all of a sudden like your entire house of cards starts to crumble every yeah. single day. <laughs> it's like, it's so hard to build up because then it's like you're trying to to run in sand. It's like you're, you're getting there, but like you're just getting pulled right back down every single step. But yeah. for, I mean, for me, my health, if I'm not 100% me, and this is for sales too, like I can't be 100% me at a sales demo if right. I come in hungover and I'm working with like C-level executives, I, I can't talk to a chief information officer or a, a chief information security officer for a, you know, a, a massive corporation and be hungover and stink of right. booze. Like yeah. it just doesn't work. And, yeah. and this is something I think a lot of folks have to kind of like come to reckon with is like, there comes a point you almost have to grow up, right? You have mm -hmm. to realize like, what are your priorities? If your priorities are to be successful, and you have to start doing the things that are going to put you in that path to be successful. Absolutely. If you're going to be focusing on doing the things that don't work and you continue to do those things that don't work, guess what? You're going to get more of the same things that aren't yep. going to work. Yep. Yep. 185 pounds. That's crazy. Um, what did you do? So you said you started mostly cardio in the beginning. Yep. Like up, up until how much weight did you lose until you started lifting weights? And then I also, the other part is like, what was your diet like? Because there's a saying in the fitness world, abs are made in the, in the kitchen, not in the gym, right? Yep. So you can train as hard as you want, but you may not lose any weight because you're still eating like shit. So what was your diet like in the beginning part? And, and how much weight did you lose when you started picking up weights? Yeah. So I ended up, I did no weightlifting at all to start out. All I did was I, so it's funny. I, I did three parts really of my initial weight loss. This took over two years, by the way, for the 180 mm -hmm. pounds. So first part was, and again, going back to my background a little bit, I'm from upstate New York family was a family of farmers had this 250 or so long a foot long barn and it was empty you know no more cows they got sold away like in the mid 90s so we had this big empty barn sitting there and being 385 pounds at the time I was like I I don't want to go to the gym I look like a monster like I don't I, I just I was so uncomfortable in my own skin I would wear such baggy clothes but even then I just didn't feel like I was you know feeling comfortable so what I do is I'd go out to my barn at seven eight 30 or seven to eight o'clock at night or so. And I'd go out there for about an hour to two hours. And I would literally just walk up and down the, the middle of the barn. And I would do all 250 feet down, 250 feet back. I just do that on loop for, you know, an hour, two hours. And mind you, this is upstate New York. This is, and I started this back in January of the, I think it was 20 or no, it was 2008. Maybe it was. So yeah, it's 2008 when I first started this. So that first period was pretty much 2009, excuse me, 2009. Um, that first period of like weight loss where I lost my initial like 30, 40 pounds was me literally just doing that. Um, also from the diet standpoint, just initially cutting out soda. Soda is poison. Mm, it is. Get it out of your diet immediately. If you drink it consistently, like turn it into a, uh, like a, Ooh, I'm eating a bad boy kind of thing. Like that's what you should have soda for. Not for like, Oh, I'm having it for lunch every single day. Right. Don't do that. Um, doing that alone and cutting out all the excess sugar, it helped me lose like 40 pounds at, right there at the onset. Then once I started getting more comfortable with like, okay, I don't look like a monster anymore. Then I started to go out and walk um, on the, the roads. Now, again, middle of nowhere, New York, back roads, probably. And you know what? I, I walked this route that I used to walk back when I visited my parents' house back this past summer. And I'm walking this route with my wife and I, uh, I stopped and I was like, 
I did this route, I would go out at four in the morning, wow. pitch black, and like there's bears up there. Like, <laughs> like, like it's there's no lights at all. Like, if you're talking about like imagine the darkest night you've seen, right? That's how dark a normal night is if you're not in a big city. And that was normal. Like you, you're out in the morning, and if it's pitch black outside, it's pitch black outside. And like, I'm this you know ginormous rotund kid wearing all black. Like the fact that I didn't get hit or attacked by a wild animal, absolutely astonishing. But I did that for about like a year. Literally, I'd go out, I'd walk all the way to the river, which the river separated Canada, the Saint Lawrence River, for those of folks playing along with the home game. Um, and I would walk home, and that was about uh, like seven and a half eight mile, I think it was round trip altogether. So I did that, lost more and more weight. And then that winter uh, going into 2010, I ended up, I started doing more going to the gym and I started running there because like winter time, cold, near, like yeah. negative 40 temperatures in Northern New York. Can't, you can't walk outside. Like it's impossible. Um, so went to the gym and it was very weird to go to the gym at first because I was not comfortable with it at all. Gym for me was like, you know, the opposite of where I wanted to spend my time. Like that's like so outside of my comfort zone. And what I did, I would just go, go on the treadmill, walk, sometimes go on the, um, the, the bike and stuff. I was also playing football at this point too. So like I was being more comfortable, like working out with, with people, but I wasn't really like weightlifting because at that point in time, I was just a big guy and I had a big muscle mass for being a big guy. So I didn't mm. feel like I had to. Um, so anyways, then I started losing more and more weight and I hurt my knee playing football, lost more and more weight. And I got down to the end of my senior year of high school. I think it was, I was down to like 250 ish pounds. I think it was. And then the last 50 was when I first went to college. And I just, again, was only doing cardio, only running, jogging on the treadmill and outside. And then I got down to my lowest, lowest was 205 pounds. Nice. Um, and that was over a two year period. And then after that, I started uh, lifting weights and adding that in my routine. And I sit now around like between my playing weight right now is like 250 to 270. That's kind of like my range. I, I sit independent if I'm bulking or cutting. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, though, like I, I would say to your your diet question, mm -hmm. I have celiac disease. So it's already difficult for me to eat food. Yeah. So, I mean, I can't have any bread or you know flour, wheat products, anything like that. Um, it cuts out like a majority of alcohols as it is. Can't have beer, can't have, um, rye, barley, whisk, anything like that. So I just kind of changed my diet to being more keto ish, I guess is, okay. is my diet. If you will, I eat, uh, pretty whole foods, um, you know, red meats, chicken, fish, eh, not so much fish, seafood more than anything. Uh, but then, you know, your vegetables, uh, healthy carbs, potatoes, um, mm mostly lots of potatoes. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, other than that, I would say that's kind of my, uh, my main, my main change I took. And I'll tell you though, like just doing something though. And this is like, yeah. it's not just the physical part though, man. It's like, it's the mental part of it too. Okay. And you know it, right? Like when you're working out and doing jujitsu and stuff, like mm -hmm. the mental game that you get to play, but then that like a feeling afterwards of like, Oh yeah, I did that. that yeah. And that's so huge of checking a massive thing off your list for the day. Cause that's like a big thing that, a majority of people don't do you just doing that puts you in a completely different ballpark than a majority of other folks out there. So yeah. do that. Yeah. That's amazing. I mean, that the discipline that, that it probably took to do that over and over and over for, for years, you know, it's like a lot of people, again, I think about playing the long game with your, your music career, whatever career it is, yep. it's, if you want to be healthy, like you can't think about like, oh, I'm going to lose 50, 60 pounds over the next three, four months. And then I'll be healthy for the rest of my life. No, it's it's a lifetime commitment. Like you just got to think forever. So that's what that's why even like for me, like there's still some way I want to drop, but it's it's there's no rush. Like so I've lost almost 80 pounds now and but I've, done very, I've done it very slowly oh, because I'm trying to change my lifestyle. I'm trying to focus on on longevity and. It's, it's so important to take care of yourself. Like everything, everything gets better. Um, I've dealt a lot with, with depression throughout my life. And maybe that, I know we're almost at the end of the conversation for a later day, but I, I will tell you since starting jujitsu and eating better uh, this year. So I'd probably have, would have like an episode of where I have pretty deep depression, maybe once a month. Mm -hmm. um, this year, this entire year, so we're in October. It maybe happened once. 
So <laughs> even even in that sense, like your mental state is just gets so much better by taking care of yourself. And I think your art will get better, your sales will get better, your life uh, relationships, everything just gets better when you take care of yourself. I mean, Chris, and I mean, I don't, don't want to share too much, right? But I know you and I had talked at one point last year, and you, there was some health stuff that you were a little concerned about too. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, and like, I have some blood pressure issues. Right, like, yeah. and, and that's stuff that it, I mean, it adds to the mental angst, right? And yeah. that's also something that we're facing a lot. I mean, people are bombarded with stimulus day yeah. in and day out, oh, and yeah. it's like it's exhausting. And mm-hmm. to add one more thing of uncertainty when we're already uncertain, and like, yeah. dude, like the. the Life is so freaking short. Like one of my my dear friends and mentors, Gary Collins, just passed away, mm-hmm. and it was tragic. He 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 passed away. They they found him. I think the, the the story I'm hearing now is he was visiting some friends, and it sounds like it may have been carbon monoxide poisoning. So like wow. something right? Like 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 what what is like? In the world of wine, there are so many choices, and that's why Blood of Tyrants Wine has tyrants losing their heads. Whether you're looking for a new go-to at home or want to impress your friends at a party, Blood of Tyrants Wine has you covered. And if you're trying to get rid of some pesky tyrants in your life, well, we've got that covered too. Head to briannicholshow.com forward slash wine and get $5 off your order. One more time, briannicholshow.com forward slash wine. Free men don't ask permission, so take a sip. You'll be glad you did. It makes you really take a step back and and objectively like analyze things in life and like do the things that matter, but also like to your point, you don't don't go crazy. Like it is a process. Take your time yeah. and and like don't don't put yourself in a situation where you're gonna hurt yourself or like not see that the long term results. I've seen people go on the like, oh, I'm gonna do this crash diet. Like this <laughs> it's one guy, Chris. Um I couldn't believe he's doing this. I th- I think it's like a ninety day water fast. Oh jeez. What and like, he's terrible. like yeah, and like he's like he's like I can do it. Like I'm being monitored by doctors, and there's no health reason to do it. He just wants to do it. And I, I'm like, hey, if you want to do it, that's fine. But like, there's other things you can do that yeah. are like, <laughs> challenging. <laughs> yeah, a lot, of, a lot of other things you could do. Come to the gym with me, like. Yeah. Five days in a row, I'll have you praying you did the water fast. Yeah. Come to jiu-jitsu with me. I'll choke you around a little bit. <laughs> exactly. I'll, I'll give you a water fast. But like seriously, like, it, like there are so many different things you can do. And you know it's funny? I, I don't mean to make this about cybersecurity. That's <laughs> what I'm going to do. Um, but like I have this one guy we work with, and, and God bless him. He's a, he's a fun sales guy. But he has this, this ongoing phrase he uses for his company's uh, cybersecurity solution. And that's that cybersecurity – is a process. It's not a product, right? right? And we see this time and again. I, I have people I'll call into and, you know, oh, I bought this, you know, amazing endpoint security uh, solution, top of the line, you know, it has everything I need in place. Great. Hey, you know what? What are you guys doing for penetration testing? Well, why do I need that? I have this. Well, it's going to, you know, even though this is a great setup, it's going to uncover if there's anything out there. It's going to look in the dark web, see, you know, if there's any passwords or user credentials, we're going to layer in maybe phishing campaigns, for example, to help, you know, your, your users be prepared for phishing attacks. Ah, we don't need that. All right, all right no worries. Call back seven months later. Uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I have no budget because we got hit with a ransomware attack and uh, it costs us $100,000 a day for two weeks. And uh, yeah, now I, my company is pretty much at a standstill because we're still trying to get our data back. And it's like, huh. And you had this amazing endpoint security solution that didn't, didn't, didn't work. And, and like, it's because people think they can take the pill, right? They think they can check the box. They think that as long as they do that one thing, then they're set, they're safe, they're good to go. But it's never, it's never over. It's a consistent (laughs) process, whether it's your health, your cybersecurity, your, your music. Exactly. There's always something that you need to be focusing on and trying to get better at or, or to try and, and grow at. Because if you're not, then your competition is. And exactly. all it takes is, you know, one Chinese app company like TikTok to come out of nowhere and like wipe out the American social media ent- uh, empires that were here that we were guaranteed, by the way, Chris, could never crumble, right? Oh, yeah. Ever. <laughs> they're monopolies. They are not going anywhere. And then TikTok's like, hold my beer. Hold my Yingling <laughs> or whatever my Chinese beer is. Is Chinese is Yingling Chinese? No, Yingling's from Philadelphia or Pennsylvania. You know what? Somewhere. You're right. 
It's the oldest England beer in America. Is that racist? I hope not. I'm sorry to most the, the fans out there who, who might think that's a little insulting. <laughs> so regardless, yeah, yeah. Uh, you no, sure we no, quit drinking? <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure. I, what's in this seltzer here? I, I, are you sure there's nothing bad in there? No, um, but no, I, I would say no, 100%, Chris. At the end of the day, like, if, if across the board, like from our conversation today, I would say if we could take anything away, it's you, you have to be different, right? Like it, you have to be, and, and not just different, but like uniquely you and stand for something, right? Um, I don't know about you, but like for me, I get excited in seeing people get it and then like being able to move forward, like whether it's at a prospect I sell to, a musician I'm sure you work with that's like, oh, I got the aha moment. And then they start just like ramping up. Like they're, they're just they're skyrocketing, like whatever it may be. You get that kind of feeling like it's because we're trying new things. We're getting comfortable with being uncomfortable, but we're doing so by being uniquely us. We're building, you know, our relationship. We're surrounding ourselves with good people. We're being consistent. What would Gary V say? Am I allowed to swear on this, Chris? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, Gary V would say, be consistent as fuck, right? Like that, that's the Gary V approach to, to life. And and but it's true because as soon as you take the pedal off the metal, somebody else is flying by you. TikTok yeah. is flying by you with their yinglings. Yeah. It's 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 always so fun like doing podcasts with you because I feel like there's so many lessons from, from this conversation. Even, even going on a tangent, even in the tangents, there's there's lessons, right? The important thing is being authentic, being different. And being consistent for a long time, which in the words of Gary Vee means just be patient as fuck and just wait and just keep going and keep going and keep going. And eventually the magic will happen. Um, you just got to trust the process. Amen, brother. Amen. Yeah. This is fun, man. As always, uh, I, miss, I miss talking to you. <laughs> Likewise. I know. I'm looking forward to uh, you and I getting more of these back on the episodes. I know. So, hi, my audience. We're, we're going to do this as a, a re-air on my show um, for our yes. Friday episode. But, like, Chris, these conversations, I think, to your point, I always get value from them. I know my audience always gets value from them. And, and frankly, like, this is how we grow as, as a society, as a, a liberty community as a community of artists or entrepreneurs, like we have to work and speak and network together and understand that like without each other, it doesn't matter. Like, like it doesn't matter how great you are individually without your customers, but likewise, it doesn't matter how great you are individually without your network. So let's, let's focus on building those relationships, building up our network and uh, building some value doing so uh, uniquely thank you buddy yes and, and speaking of a, a network and connecting where can people connect with you absolutely uh okay so a couple places now uh, number one for like the media empire for all links and and everything brian Show.com. uh what can you find there number one you can go ahead and find all 600 plus episodes chris can you believe that five things a week when, i know when man. we first met it was like at 100 something <laughs> and and well and that's what happens when you do five days a week i guess so, and we were doing seven and that was just suicide. So we, 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 we wound it back a little bit, uh, remove those two weekend episodes. So I can at least decompress. Um, but no, we're doing five days a week, Monday through Friday, 95, I'd say percent of my entire audience listens to the show via our podcast medium. Cause frankly, that's where we all started was over back in 2018 on the, the, the podcast. So if you head over to, uh, wherever it is, you listen to your podcast, Apple podcasts, Spotify, um, Stitcher, SoundCloud, you name it. Just search Brian, uh, the Brian Nichols Show. We should show up. We are. I was astonished to learn this in the top 1.5 percent of podcasts globally, according to Listen Notes. So, hey, we're making an impact. I guess we're doing something right. But uh, what we focus on is how can we bring uh, political solutions uh, to folks out there who are looking for some solutions, uh, but do so overtly outside of the political system and infrastructure. And what we do is we bring sales and marketing techniques that I use here in the uh, my day job in, in the, the private sector and bring them to the world of politics, showing you how to win uh, hearts and minds versus trying to win arguments. Uh, in terms of where folks can follow me on social media, it's everywhere at B Nichols Liberty. And then for all the video versions of the show, yeah, we're trying to grow our video uh, platforms as well. So YouTube, we have um, all the shows that they we've had here since we started recording video per Chris is a very, very wise recommendation. Thank you, Chris. I was like, um, recording now, audio. Why not add video? I and know, man. You're recording audio over camera. <laughs> Just hit record I, and, and, <laughs> hey, we did it. 
and it, it paid off because now yes. we have a, a nice audience there over on YouTube. And also we recently launched over on Odyssey as well as on Rumble. Awesome. So uh, yeah, looking forward to growing those audiences as well. But otherwise, uh, if you guys want to get in touch with me, social media, or you can email me, Brian at briannicholshow.com. Uh, Chris, dude, that it's been a blast. Thank you so much yeah. for having me on the program. Of course, it was a real honor to finally have you on, on my show. And since it is a, a dual air show for, for Brian's audience, I, I, I keep it simple. If you want to connect with me, I have makingitnetwork.xyz. Yes, I want the whole crypto blockchain route with the XYZ. So makingitnetwork.xyz. That's where you can, it's a little, right now goes to the YouTube channel, but I will direct that link wherever I wanted to uh, find me. And that should be the link for going forward. But um, everyone listening, as I always sign off, I would say spread love, positivity, and kindness in the world and live the life you love. Peace, my friends. Thanks for listening to The Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com. Enjoying the audio version of the show? Then you'll love our YouTube channel. Be sure to head over there and subscribe. And if you're new to The Brian Nichols Show, be sure to head to your favorite podcast catcher and click download all unplayed episodes so you don't miss one of our nearly 500 episodes that will be sure to leave you educated, enlightened, and informed. If you got value from today's episode, can you do me a favor and head to briannicholsshow.com forward slash support and leave us a $5 donation? And by the way, have you given the show a five-star review yet? If not, head to Apple Podcasts and tell folks why you listen to the program and don't forget to tell your friends to subscribe too. Follow me on social media at B Nichols Liberty. And again, if you'd be so kind, please consider making a donation to The Brian Nichols Show at briannicholsshow.com forward slash support. The Brian Nichols Show is supported by viewers like you. Thank you to our patrons, Daryl Schmitz, Michael Lima, Mitchell Mankiewicz, Cody Johns, Craig DaCosta, and the We Are Libertarians Network.